listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Well, hello and welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us. And what a beautiful day. And you can actually get around the city. How about that? There aren't a million people jammed into Nathan Phillips Square. What a day yesterday. A remarkable experience for this city. And we're going to really dig into what happened yesterday. And we're going to talk about it from a lot of different angles. We're going to talk about it from a crowd control angle and whether or not the city did enough. Did it plan correctly? Was it prepared for, I think, what everybody knew going in was going to be an enormous crowd? I think perhaps everyone, however, was taken off guard by the sheer size and scope of it. And news today that the city manager is going to be reviewing the city's planning to try and see what lessons can be learned because, you know, when Kawhi resigns and we win again next year, perhaps it won't be a six-hour tour. How about, think about to yourself what it would be like to have been a player on one of those buses. The bus is loaded with champagne. And you get in the bus and you think to yourself, I'm on a half hour from now. We're going to be on the stage. No problem. And so you crack a couple of bottles. And then you you, you, you get up and you, you're partying. The crowd is cheering your name and they love you. And you have a couple of more. And the next thing you know, you're Marc Gasol. Because how's about Gasol? Have you seen any of the shots of Gasol? Just every corner he comes to, he cracks a bottle of champagne. He pours it over himself. He fist pumps the crowd. It was amazing. Marc Gasol, MVP of the parade. (laughs) By the time he got to the stage, I'm not suggesting he was lit. But as Norm Powell said to uh, one of the reporters, he was lit-lit. Like double lit. So good. And then there is this. I want to take you to a moment where the crowd let loose when a certain somebody came on stage. Dofo! The premier of Ontario, Doug Ford! Oh, my. And then let's just compare that to JT, shall we? The Prime Minister of Canada. Please welcome the right hand Justin Trudeau. Okay, so JT gets the rock star and Dofo gets the boo bird. Well, maybe something that you just heard in the newscast might help with that. This just out today, a treatment center for children with disabilities says 113 people are losing their jobs as a result of Ontario's changes to autism funding. Remember that whole thing about nobody's going to lose their job? Didn't turn out to be that. Correct? Correct. So here is my question today for the Premier's communication staff. For the people that handle the Premier. What the heck were you smoking? What are you thinking putting that guy on the stage? I mean, you know he's going to get booed. You know it. You've seen him get booed at other events, and it makes news. And people know that. And so when Doug Ford comes wandering out, you let him know how you feel. 
This is a guy who heads a government that is trying to rein in spending, that is trying to control a runaway spendathon that the previous government had brought in. And you may disagree with how he is going about it, but the fact of the matter is that whenever you begin cuts like this, you're not going to be popular. So here's a, here's a surprise, everybody. Don't put him on the stage. By the way, Kawhi Leonard is now my favorite Toronto comedian. Aha, <laughs> Did you see the team just erupt when he blew that when he threw that in there? Like all year long, we have been dining out on his laugh. <laughs> and then he just comes to town and says, How about a little bit of this, everybody? I just love that. That was fantastic. I want to bring you up to date on that shooting issue. Uh, police still looking for someone in outstanding in that shooting incident that happened yesterday. Police searching for a suspect and a firearm. They say they're still looking for one person after that shooting just outside where the rally was held uh, in Nathan Phillips Square, just to the corner of Nathan Phillips Square is where it happened. Four people suffering non-life-threatening injuries from the shooting. And I want to play something from you for you from Chief Saunders and ask the following question. Why is it that this guy cannot answer a question like a human? Why is it he just can't talk? It's just this guy, I mean, whether or not, I mean, you know, you know his performance and his relationship with the rank and file aside, here is his answer when asked a very simple question. He's asked... Was this shooting targeted? It's still early with respect to the magnitude of the occurrence and the situation and the amount of, of things that have to be combed through, Arda. So if you can uh, give us a bit of time, and as we get more, we certainly uh, will, will be uh, given that information because right now our ask is that we have more people listening and actively participating in getting the proper resolve. We're not there yet, and hopefully as time and, and as evidence comes out, we'll have that opportunity to, to have more fulsome uh, information on, on the shooting itself. Yes. Mm. What was any of that English? Why can't you just answer the question? Just talk. Quit with the cop talk. This is the thing. When you have career cops like this and they come up all the way through the system, they can't stop it. They can't stop with the bureaucratic jibber jabber. That means nothing, nothing to you and me. And I tell you this, that part of the job of being police chief is being able to communicate with this city. And on that front, I believe that the chief is currently lacking. And I think the previous clip we just played illustrates my point. Camille Caramali is covering the sort of look at what happened yesterday. He's a global news reporter. He joins us on the line and we're trying to get a hold of him. Apparently he is driving and we want to make sure that he is safe because he traveled with me to Oakland and I drove, he drove and let me just tell you this, that guy is doing a million different things at once. He needs to he needs to concentrate on what he's doing. And let's just for the safety of everybody, let's make sure he's concentrating on driving. But I do want to play you this. This is Brad Ross, who is the spokesperson for the Toronto City, the City of Toronto, talking about what happened at Nathan Phillips Square, specifically at Nathan Phillips. 
We estimate, though, on Nathan Phillips Square in this vicinity, we're probably looking at, at about 100,000 people. Nathan Phillips Square normally holds about 50,000. If you include Queen and Bay Streets into the mix, and we have New Year's Eve as a, as a sort of barometer, you might, might be up around 65 to 70,000 people. So, so yeah, it was, it was at capacity, and we, we, we let the public know when it did reach capacity. Yeah, they let the public know when it reached capacity, but it was already far past capacity, and I was there in the heart of it, and it was it, it was insane. Because even before they shut it down to more people, the people were just jammed in there. I could barely get to my broadcast location, and that was at 7.45 a.m., and it just kept growing. And it just seemed like there was no thought about porta potties Exit strategies? All of these things seem to be absolutely absent from the planning. Camille Caramali now. Are you safe, Camille? Are you driving safely, hands-free? I'm driving safely. I'm on my way to Exhibition Place to actually speak to a security expert about yesterday's event and whether everyone else there felt safe or what they could have done to feel safer. So... Uh, that's actually where I'm headed right now. So, I, you know, I can give you a little bit more of a debrief once I speak to this expert, but uh, for our own observations, I'm on the same boat as you, Alan. It was, uh, it was uh, we were all sardined in there, and, uh, you know, just even trying to do our jobs was absolutely impossible. I remember trying to get around uh, with our camera operator, Chris Dunseith, and we were trying to get back into the parade route, and it was just a massive, massive wall of people who, you know, some had crying children who didn't know how to get out of there. And I'll tell you what, my first thought was, what if there's an emergency? What if something bad happens? And then eventually, as you very well know, something bad did happen. And and that, of course, is going to be part of the investigation. And I don't want to come down on all of it because I think a lot of people had a great time. I think it was a giant celebration, and I don't think that it should be marred by you know, what happened in terms of the shooting, but I think there are a lot of lessons to learn. Camille, uh, thank you. We'll look forward to your report tonight on Global News beginning at 5.30. Thanks, Alan. Please be safe because, as I mentioned, Camille, uh, we, we, we spent some time in Oakland together. Uh, he's, a, he's a competent driver, but he is, he's doing a lot of things. All at once. So appreciate you being on the on the phone with us, Camille. Uh, coming up on the radio program, if you were at the parade, if you were anywhere near it, you know one thing for sure, and that is there was no cell service. None. Forget about Twitter. Forget about Instagram. You could barely make a phone call. I couldn't even text anyone. Nothing. What does that mean? What does that mean for us as a city? As I mean, we know that this happens when there's mass events, but... What does it mean for uh, first responders? And how do we get around this issue? Because increasingly, as our lives become more digital, we require this. We're going to talk more about that when we come back. Up in my newness. 
If you're a part of the parade craziness, uh, hopefully you had a good time. Sunny waves. It was certainly very bright and sunny out there, wasn't it? And there's a lot of us that were not quite prepared for that. And uh, I include myself amongst those. I did not bring a hat because I was going to be on TV. And you know why you don't wear a hat on TV? It would be ridiculous. And then... uh, You should have worn an ascot, though. I should have worn an ascot because... Nice ascot. uh, Because I got the burn on the back of the neck. I have the actual, literal redneck today. I've got that quite that band that you get when you wear a suit jacket and a, a, a collared shirt. But nothing on the back of the neck. And also, I believe the top of my head is blistering. And, you know, here's the difference between me and Nick Nurse. Many people have said over the uh, course of this playoff run that I'm a bit of a doppelganger for Mr. Nurse. Um, I, I do resemble him slightly. We're only we're born two weeks apart. But did you see Nick Nurse yesterday? He looked like he was on his way to the moon. He w- he was wearing a black hoodie, a black baseball cap, and some rack- wraparound sunglasses. It looked like he was about to just, you know, summit Everest. And so he was ready. He was ready, and I was not. That is the difference. We're going to talk more about the parade in just a second. But did you notice who was part of the parade? I don't know if you watched the uh, the introductions. As they come out on stage, you're like, who are these people? I don't care. Uh, but it, one of those people was George Cope, who was the CEO of Bell Canada. Canada. And the other person was Edward Rogers, who's the chairman of Rogers Communications, and of course the son of the founder Ted Rogers, and they were both there because they are part owners of MLSE. And uh, yesterday was not a good look for telecom, because if you were anywhere near Nathan Phillips Corps or anywhere near any part of the parade at all, you simply had no cell service. And keep in mind that these are the people trying to sell you cell service. And also, remember during Game 5 and Game 6 when they're like, oh, you can stream it for free, blah, blah, and then the stream goes down in the middle of the game? That was not a good look. Shorty Shikar is a writer and reporter with Mobile Syrup that keeps an eye on the telecom industry in this country. Uh, Shruti, I don't think we're surprised that there was an overload of the cell network, but what is being done to try and accommodate what obviously was going to be a lot of people. You know what? Um, first of all, thank you for having me. Second of all, I'm so sorry to hear about that burn. <laughs> I hope you're feeling better. Thank you very much. I, I look uh, a little bit like Deadpool right now. Just a oh, little. Man. Oh, man. Aloe vera. Aloe vera. I'm sure that will help. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty – I mean – not surprising. Uh, you had close to 2 million people congregated in one very uh, small area. And so, you know, it's, it's really not surprising that cell services um, did drop. I did get notification from both Bell and, uh, Bell and Rogers, rather. Uh, and to give you some, some numbers here, so a Bell spokesperson said that data traffic was up to 10 times their normal volume. And Rogers' traffic was up to six times more traffic. So, like, that is a lot of traffic on the network. And uh, especially at a time when the parade's happening, you might lose your friends, people trying to get home. I I heard that there were some commotions because of stabbing and and the shooting. And so, you know, when in these moments, and you really need that cell cell service, it's it's pretty uh, unfortunate that, that the networks were down. But... It's also important to note that these networks were intermittently down. So, I mean, people were saying that uh, they lost it and then they got it back. 
But, you know, this is something that tends to take place when there's just an overload of people in one area. Why did they not bring, or perhaps I don't understand the technology, but why would they not bring cell boosters? We've seen those at other events and other types of uh, situations. They knew that there were going to be all those people in Nathan Phillips. Could they not have boosted the ability to take on all that data and all that cell? You know, I I mean, they very well could have. Um, I really, I'm not sure why they didn't. It probably would have been a smart decision to do something like that, considering that not only is this the first time that the Raptors has ever won a championship, but the fact that it's the first time that we've won a championship in 26 years. And so, you know, it's very evident there's going to be so many people coming into one area. So you'd think perhaps maybe they should have used a booster of some sort, but, you know, they didn't. And, and, and then this happened. So it was, it was pretty, um, it was daunting. It was frustrating for many users. People on Twitter were going um, crazy. There were you know, upset. They were, they don't know why they weren't getting connection. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of a bad decision on, on not using some sort of a booster. Yeah. I think it was a bad look all the way around for the telecom. But when we talk about the next iteration of cell 5G, there's so much talk about it. Mm-hmm. So if we had 5G, like flash forward five years when we win the championship again, mm-hmm. And we perhaps have 5G, although I don't think we get it even before 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that make a difference? It can. See, and that's the thing about 5G is that um, it's because of the low latency, um, it's supposed to alleviate the congestion that happens in a 4G LTE uh, network space. So when there's thousands upon thousands, close to millions of people on a network, um, it's supposed to alleviate that congestion. But that can lead to other issues like the cost of how much it's going to be for when we have 5G networks. You know, we did talk about uh, new data plans, and perhaps there might be cheaper plans when 5G really does come into effect. But that is one consideration that can be a, a thing to take into, uh, that plans might cost a lot of, a lot of money. And again, 5G, it, I mean, the use of a 5G is not necessarily only for phones, right? Like, um, it's meant for bigger things and looking at the bigger picture of things like uh, Internet of Things, uh, autonomous vehicles, smart cities. And so when you have something like that and you're powering 5G for that, it's great. But for sure, 100%, 5G would totally help the congestion on a 4G LTE network. Shorty Shikari is with Mobile Syrup. She's a reporter and a journalist looking at the telecommunications industry. Thank you, Shruti. Thanks for having me. So it could be possible that, you know, in 2025, when the Raptors win again, or (laughs) the Leafs, (laughs) sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, hockey fans, but it's possible, you know, a big celebration, suddenly everybody's like, I can't get autonomous car, I can't get my autonomous Lyft or Uber, I can't get it, it won't work, that's Perhaps that's that, that's coming our way. I want to talk more about the actual parade and take you right inside one of the buses. In uh, Rebecca Couts, who's the uh, producer of this program, uh, Couts. Was, how Couts, long did you I, know me? Oh my God, did I mispronounce <laughs> Couts? <laughs> that's how I know telemarketers when they call me. All they call right, me Couts. I don't cry. We're on a first name basis. You were on bus number four. What was that like? Well, uh, it was. It was really actually it was it was amazing. I got so I got shooed. The story goes I was walking alongside the buses and I kept I kept expecting them to sort of shoo us all out. This was after the buses had passed and we were sort of following them 
along, and I kept expecting that the police would sort of shoo us out through barriers and we'd be done, but it there was nowhere to go. And so people kept joining in, and it kept getting more and more crowded, and suddenly we were trying to push guys away from the wheels of the bus that were only about a half foot from us. Uh, so as that's happening, I noticed there's a reporter or two going on to one of the buses, and I, I kind of, you know, ask, please... <laughs> And they sent me up to bus number four. And sure enough, on I go, up to the top. I get to ride from about where the arena was all the way up to Nathan Phillips Square. And it was the most amazing experience. I could see what was booing those poor guys who were on there for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Every time we moved even a half a foot, the entire crowd would just swell up. And we're talking just blocks and blocks of red as far as the eye can see all of them completely in there with the fans cheering talking to them interacting with them down the side of the bus it was phenomenal it here's, was an unbelievable experience here's some of the audio that you recorded from your experience i'm walking along and watching it and it it's it's crazy i mean there's the guys up on top of the bus are you know spraying out alcohol and people underneath are trying to catch it in their mouths <laughs> All of this while the cops are pushing them from the side and warning them about the tires going by. <laughs> well, there was a lot of booze. <laughs> it's raining booze! Hooray! Uh, you, you, you were with uh, Pascal. Uh, did you see Pascal uh, tipping a couple back? I, yeah. I, I saw him actually watering, watering the crowds on either side. He kept shaking up the sure. champagne and spraying down but, everyone. But it was one for you, one for me with uh, Pascal. There was a little bit of that. I think, because when Pascal got to the stage, did you see? Did you see him <laughs> on the stage? You're like, okay, Pascal, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's get Freddie out here to hold him. Okay. <laughs> and, then he, and then he chants his own nickname. <laughs> Well, there's the crowd chanting it, and then when he gets to the stage, he's like, I'm going to chant my own nickname. I Like, go ahead. Do it. I love it. I just absolutely love it. It's been fantastic. fantastic. Oh, is is that my mom? That is your mom. Is Did you want to take calling. the call? No. No. Send her to voicemail. Thank you very much. Hello. 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 Good morning to you. A quick update on a couple of stories making news this afternoon, and that is the Toronto Police are asking for anyone who may have witnessed yesterday's shooting incident during the Raptors Championship Parade to contact them. They're specifically looking for any cell phone video, any evidence whatsoever. They don't have anything really at this point, at least that's according to the chief who spoke this morning and again put that ask out there. Um, saying that uh, obviously with that many people there, someone saw something when that happened. Four people shot, all of them expected to survive. And the other story we're watching is what's coming out of the universities today, and that is a couple of universities have been shut down and evacuated because of bomb threats. We don't know exactly how much longer that will be in place. Our Jamie Marocker is on the line. Hi, Jamie. How's it going on? I'm I'm doing well. I'm obviously doing better than most post-secondary students have been who have been evacuated. And, uh, exams have been canceled. What's mm-hmm. the latest? So 
we're talking about four separate schools. We're talking about George Brown College, Ryerson, the Chang School specifically, OCAD, so that's the major art school in downtown Toronto, and Humber. Um, as far as I know, Humber hasn't cancelled anything or made any closures. They haven't put out any information on that. George Brown was quite the active scene about a half an hour ago. Things have since calmed down. At the Chang School, uh, Ryerson actually, within probably an hour, they had... Um, the students and faculty, they had evacuated back inside the school, and they said everything was business as usual. But it's OCAD where the really big scene is. So there are quite a few officers still down at that location. I just left, actually. Um, they evacuated everybody, and then they shut down the school for the rest of the day. In the main building, so if you've ever seen OCAD, it's got, like, the bright sticks outside of it. That main building has an investigation inside it, but also the secondary building, which is the learning center. There were quite a few police officers inside there as well. What we do know at this point is that this morning at around 9 a.m. at uh, 8.54 a.m., police got a phone call uh, that four different schools across the uh, city and 10 different campuses were under an alleged bomb threat. Now, police aren't really releasing any more information other than that. They say they've investigated this threat. I haven't seen uh, the bomb squad at any of the locations. In fact, I've just seen um, constables and different officers on scene. And like I said, a lot of the scenes have since been cleaned up and reopened. But for OCAD students I spoke with, they were pretty upset today, not only because the threat made them quite anxious, and we don't often see bomb threats at this location. In fact, I can't remember any at OCAD. I, I've seen them at York University. I've, I've heard of them at Ryerson, but never at OCAD. Um, the students are saying, you know what? I had finals today. I had final projects that were due in the next few days, and this is really going to set me behind. Jamie Morocker with the latest on that uh, situation, and you can watch Jamie's report tonight on Global News at 5.30, simulcast on this radio station beginning at 6. Thank you, Jamie. No problem. I want to move to Facebook because uh, big news out of Facebook today that they're unveiling plans to create a new digital currency similar to Bitcoin. And this could drive more e-commerce on services and boost ads on its platforms. And the fact that this is Facebook is really raising a lot of eyebrows. It's called Libra. That is the name of the digital currency. And it is scheduled to launch sometime in the next 6 to 12 months. What does that mean in terms of cash, in terms of the way you pay, and also in terms of how powerful this could make Facebook? Jeremy Welch is CEO of CASA, a specialist in cryptocurrency. Jeremy, thank you so much and welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me, Alan. Tell me, what does this mean, a digital currency for Facebook? Well, the biggest thing that it represents is that it's a, it's a rollout of cryptocurrency and this concept uh, to billions of people. You know, this is not necessarily a direct competitor to Bitcoin and some of the oldest cryptocurrencies, but it is bringing this concept of digital currency to a global audience um, and really moves, uh, moves this entire industry forward. So this could could this replace the way that we pay for things, especially online, if we're now using the Facebook portal, perhaps then to access Amazon and so on and so forth? Sure. So the interesting thing about Libra is that it is a stable coin. It's backed by existing currencies, but it also has formed, they formed a consortium of a number of other businesses, including eBay, Uber, some major uh, payment companies like Visa and MasterCard that are participating in this network for the currency. 
Um, and so we will see, we'll likely see this currency popping up um, in a lot of stores, a lot of properties where you also see some of these existing players. So you could see a situation where people are being paid in Libra or we exchange Libra, you know, whatever you call it, uh, for goods and services? We'll see. Um, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, if for people to be paid in Libra, Facebook is going to have to bring in new ways to pay, uh, potentially through some of their existing apps. Um, the most important piece here is that they have the reach. They have a reach of over 2 billion users globally. Um, that's across, you know, countries all over the world. And so for them to be able to distribute this basic currency um, is really enormous. Now, how people use it, when they use it in their everyday lives, it's still to be seen. Uh, but the scale of this, of course, is enormous. And it's a little closer to, uh, you know, kind of some of the existing fiat currencies we see, like the dollar, U.S. dollar, but being issued by a private corporation, which is, you know, like you said, raising a lot of eyebrows. So there is going to be a lot of security concerns about that, and that's what you specialize in. What are the top ones? I mean, obviously, I can be as dystopian as the next guy, but what are the things that uh, that you're most concerned about? Sure. So this, uh, this product, uh, from the technical side, it's what you call proof of stake, which means that you have these companies that validate transactions directly. All of the companies listed in their consortium, again, Visa, MasterCard, Uber, eBay, some major investors as well, and some other companies like PayPal and Coinbase, they will be the ones running the software that does these validations of their, uh, again, of the system. Um, now, what that means is, is we have seen, and what I think is raising some eyebrows, is we have seen some concerns around Facebook's power to deplatform users based on opinions, based on, you know, posts or photos online. Um, and those, those also transfer kind of to this world up to the issue of if someone's account, someone's, you know, it's great that they can provide accounts to people globally, but they could also block users. Um, and if the same kind of rules apply, Facebook's trying to combat this by having an independent uh, foundation that is running the software of which David Marcus will be, you know, heading, heading things up. And they are hoping to transfer into a system that is not dependent on these major players, that is kind of fully independent. Uh, but that's not the case yet. In this first version and the first launch of this, again, it will depend on these existing companies that will be running this software globally. Um, and so there will be these strong concerns about potentially blocked payments or blocked accounts. Cue up the Black Mirror episode and pretty much writes itself. Jeremy Welch is CEO with CASA, a specialist in cryptocurrency and security. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks. I do it major like the Empire State Building. It's a great feeling, not something you fake feeling. Make money, make millions, I'ma make a killing. Your paper ground level, mine up to the ceiling. Pretty, pretty, pretty when my girls come to your city. Spending racks, I'm talking fitty. 30 Gucci, 20 Fendi. Diamonds, diamonds on my couple of quick stories to uh, send your way, and I'm just going to ask you perhaps to put your lunch down for just one moment as I get through these. First up is a bit of an update on what you can and cannot take on board your carry-on luggage. It comes out of Newark, New Jersey, where the Transportation Security Administration says they discovered six smoke grenades in a passenger's carry-on bag as he attempted to board a flight to the Dominican. The officer says... 
there was something unusual in the carry-on, all wrapped neatly in bubble wrap. Uh, Here's the thing. These kind of grenades are not illegal, but they are prohibited from being brought on an airplane. No kidding. So there you go. That's news out of Newark, New Jersey. Jersey, do not take grenades on your airplane, on your carry-on. And then we go also to New Jersey, where a man has been sentenced to two years probation, the first time ever a person has been sentenced to prison in the scheme. Uh, These were others people actually were uh, sentenced to prison in a scheme to bring turtles from Hong Kong into the United States. No turtle smuggling. Turtles are not allowed. They were hiding rare turtles in candy wrappers or socks and shipping them overseas. Now to our disgusting story, and this comes from Nairobi, where a Kenyan farmer has reported that his chickens have doubled the number of eggs they are laying, and the reason is poo. Not the poo itself, you see. What they've done in Nairobi is they let the insect larvae which, you know, likes a certain kind of food. And then you take those and you feed them to the chickens. And did you know by 2023, the global edible insect market is expected to triple to $1.2 billion? Where do you think those insects are going to come from, folks? It's poo, you know! All right, you can take your lunch back, pick up your sandwich, and we move on. We're going to move on to Uber, and specifically this story coming out that city licensing staff in Toronto want drivers working for ride-hailing companies, both Uber and Lyft, to undergo mandatory safety training. And that recommendation is part of a wider package of reforms that could force big changes on how Uber and Lyft operate in Toronto. In that report that was released on Monday, the staff recommends drivers be required to take city-accredited courses that would cover topics include safe driving, sharing the road with cyclists and transit vehicles, serving customers with disabilities, and anti-racism sensitivity. To talk more about this, I am joined by Teresa DeFelice, who is with CAA, Government and Community Relations with CAA. Teresa, thanks so much for being on the program. Thank you, Alan. It's good to talk to you. Are you driving right now? No, I am not. <laughs> okay, I'm just checking. You know, I like to check. I like, I like to make sure people are safe. Absolutely. No, I'm in a safe spot. Do you take the, the Lyft uh, the, or, or the Uber? Do you, do you take any of those services? I do, actually. And uh, what's, your, what's your experience been with the drivers? I find in Toronto, actually, we have a pretty decent quality of, of uh, ride-sharing uh, drivers, uh, my experience has not been the same everywhere I've been outside of the city or in other jurisdictions. Um, but I would say in Toronto, for the most part, they're they're a pretty good um, uh, you know amount of people who are offering services and and the cars are clean. Uh, you know they're efficient in getting you to where you got to get to. So my experience has been all good. Do you support then that uh, ride sharing drivers should have to go to some sort of mandatory training? Well, I think this is an interesting uh, debate that has to be had about uh, what what is the outcome, what what are the things that need to, what the objectives of being achieved. You know, I think there have been some, uh, although my experience I talked about has been good, you know, we're aware of and, and all know that there's been some uh, very unfortunate experiences. I think that the the companies in question are, are trying to address some of those things. 
uh, can maybe supplemented by some formal set of training. It wouldn't be unheard of for other drivers. I mean, at CAA, we, you know, the tow truck drivers have to go through, uh, anyone who drives a tow truck uh, under the CAA banner has to go through specific training, obviously commercial drivers. Uh, so the question is, is do taxis and ride share services uh, have to do the same thing and to what level? Um, to what degree and what should they be learning in those in those specific courses? And should it just be a city here, a city there? Is this a bigger a bigger initiative that needs to be addressed versus at just one municipal level? One thing that jumps out at me here is this anti-racism sensitivity. Do your tow truck drivers undergo something like that? Well, so you know, in Ontario, there we have the AODA law, which you know is is that all employees must undergo you know certain uh, training around. Um, disability and diversity and accessibility. And so what I'm not aware of at this point is, is um, how Uber and Lyft, uh, the ride-sharing services, accommodate for that and, and what the employment model is with their drivers to, to be able to affirm whether they get that through Lyft and, and Uber or whether they get that through uh, somewhere else. I mean, I know in our company we, we have to take that on a regular basis, but it's all done by um, an online course. All right. Thank you, Teresa. Appreciate you being on the program. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, that is Teresa DeFelice, who is with Government and Community Relations from CAA, talking about whether or not Uber and Lyft drivers or ride-sharing drivers overall should have some kind of uh, requirement for training. And the difficulty with that is, you know, who administers it, who pays for it, you know, who enforces it, all of those sticky questions that, you know, those that's where the devil is all, every time in all those details. I want to uh, share with you just before we go, because uh, I didn't get a chance uh, on Monday because I was broadcasting from the parade. I didn't get a chance to share any kind of dad jokes because, of course, it was Father's Day on the weekend and there were so many to to have. So I'll just leave you, if I might, with this. Why did the Scarecrow win an award? Because he was outstanding in his field. (laughs) 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 Thank you. (laughs) Kawhi Leonard, ladies and gentlemen. We are back again tomorrow. I am on television on Global News. I hope you listen. I hope you watch. And I hope you are with us again tomorrow. I'm a fun guy.